We'll get the show started here momentarily, but first, in a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. This Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us this Saturday, June 13th, from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Jason Lockenfora will be our guest on the show today. Jason, of course, uh, a big part of CBS Sports' coverage of the NFL. He wrote for the Washington Post, covered the Redskins for several years. We'll get into a lot of things with Jason. He'll spend some time with us here shortly. Wanted to start with this. We talked about that encouraging news yesterday with Tommy. You know, sort of a depressing day with Tommy, talking about things like death by dignity and he he was just a downer for most of the day yesterday, but I uplifted him briefly with some encouraging news from the World Health Organization. The World Health, World Health Organization coming out on Monday um, and saying that those with asymptomatic cases of coronavirus, uh, the probability of them spreading the virus was very rare. That was really good news because for a while there, you know, just a a month or so ago, we were very concerned about the asymptomatic cases. We didn't know how many there were, and we were learning more and more as testing increased. But just the thought that you could be walking by somebody with no symptoms and they could spread it just as easily as somebody with symptoms was, you know, one of those concerning thoughts. Well, the World Health Organization came out. Um, on Monday and said, nope, don't have to worry about asymptomatic cases. They don't really spread it. Very rare that an asymptomatic uh, person with coronavirus can spread it. And I mentioned to Tommy, it seems pretty obvious to me, doesn't it? Like if you're in a car or if you're in an elevator with somebody uh, that has it, unless they cough or they scream and spit, you know, how are you, you going to get it from them? What, from their breath? If you're, you know, distanced a little bit from them, it made sense. And at one point I said to Tommy, look, we may be entering that period where, you know, if you're sick, you go home, you stay home, you don't go to work, you don't go to school. And that seemed to actually get him a little bit excited and encouraged. Well, per usual with the World Health Organization and others during this crisis, they backtracked from it. You know, it didn't take long. It took less than 24 hours for them to say, yeah, uh, we aren't really sure about that. Um, There's just too much unknown for us to say that asymptomatic cases, um, that it's rare for them to spread the virus. And the CDC came out and said that there was, you know, a 40% chance that an asymptomatic person could spread the virus. Others have said up to 60% chance. So that brief fleeting encouraging 
moment with Tommy yesterday backtrack completely. I mean, just wait a day or two, and it might change back the other way. Who knows? A couple of other things to get to real quickly before we get to Jason Lockenfora and we get him on the phone. The um, the radio show has included uh, now on a weekly basis Chris Cooley, my old radio partner, and a frequent guest on the podcast. Cooley has been joining me the last two or three Wednesdays for about an hour to an hour and a half, and I think that's going to become more uh, common. So if you're not listening to the radio show, I encourage you to do so. The Team980.com, the Team980 app, Alexa, Google Home if you're not in your car. Um, but we were talking about something that, first of all, Tommy and I talked about yesterday. Cooley was very much in agreement that if you had a redraft or a draft of the entire NFL, as ESPN.com did the other day, that there is no debate as to who the number one pick is in that draft. It's Patrick Mahomes, hands down, not debatable. And he agreed with me also to a certain extent that it's the first time in many, many years that you can say that the NFL has a clear-cut best player in the league. He suggested that Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, which was, I think, the two players that I mentioned too, I threw Deshaun Watson in there, um, but that Rodgers and Wilson would be, one of those two players would be the number two pick. He was blown away by certain players that were picked in this draft, you know, early, like Drew Locke, even though he's a fan of Drew Locke, and Ronnie Stanley, the offensive lineman. Um, and we both sort of agreed that a guy like Matt Stafford in particular was drafted way too late as part of this. He was drafted by Baltimore at the end of the first round of this ESPN you know, drafting of the entire league, which was done by all of the ESPN beat reporters. Um, but the, the, the point, um, well, actually, real quickly on Matt Stafford, I know I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I like Detroit as a team, and I, I know I've liked them before in the past. I like Matt Stafford. Two things on Stafford. One, I do like him more than Kirk Cousins. When I've mentioned Stafford before, people will say, yeah, but you would still take Kirk Cousins. No, I, I always compared the two. I thought they were comparable quarterbacks, not necessarily in style, but in productivity. But I like Stafford more. You know, if you had given me the choice even a couple of years ago, and even now, I think I'd take Stafford. I think Stafford's 31 years old. Stafford was off to one of the best starts to his career last year when he got hurt. Last year was a season in which he was putting up massive numbers through the first eight games before he got hurt. He was on pace for 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. You know, a great season. They were 3-4-1 and one at the time. They had lost a lot of close games to a couple of really good teams. They lost the game at home to the Chiefs that they could have won. They lost a one-point game to the Packers, lost a close game to Oakland, tied Arizona in the opener. Um, I thought Detroit was a pretty good team. Anyway, Cooley's thoughts on the overall ESPN draft of the entire league were similar to, to mine. Um, but then we got into a conversation about the teams that we thought were absolute locks to be playoff teams in 2020. We did a lot of football talk today and a couple of teams that we thought would be surprises. And then I took calls and I wanted to mention something about that segment. First of all, 
there's an increased playoff format in starting in 2020. Seven teams per conference. One team gets a bye. We're going to get a triple header the opening NFL weekend next year, playoff weekend, in both conferences. That'll be exciting. That'll be fun. That'll make wild card weekend really, really spectacular. Six games, not four. Uh, but we both agreed on the absolute two locks in each conference that, that you would put out there right now. In the AFC, it's easy. The Ravens and Chiefs, if you were to pick two locks prior to the season starting that would uh, be two playoff teams, the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC. In the NFC, we both said the 49ers and the Buccaneers with Brady and with Gronk, etc. And I think a lot of people would say the same thing. Now, we know what the NFL is. Every year, basically half of the playoff field changes from the year before. So that led us into a conversation about two surprise teams per conference that we thought had a chance to make the playoffs in 2020. It's June 10th. I get it. But it just got us into a conversation about a lot of different teams um, and a lot of different rosters, too, which was um, interesting to sort of you know start to re-engage with the NFL and the rosters and what teams did in the offseason and how they drafted, et cetera. The first thing is Cooley picked Cleveland and Denver in the AFC and the Rams and the Giants in the NFC as two teams who didn't make the playoffs last year who would make the playoffs this year. He really likes the Giants roster, even though he's not completely sold on Daniel Jones. My surprise or teams that weren't in the playoffs last year that were going to make the playoffs this year, in the NFC, I had the Lions and the Cowboys. And again, the Lions because, yes, for whatever reason, I seem to always lean on the Lions in my belief that Matt Stafford could have a big year. Um, but they also have some talent on that team. You know, they were a good team last year, decent team before he got hurt, maybe on the verge of a playoff season if he hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, then he got hurt and they fell apart. Um, but they, they've got talent on that Detroit team. If, if you look at that team closely, um, you've got, you know, Kenny Galladay, who's turned into a star at wide receiver. You've got a bunch of running backs and Kerryon Johnson, who hasn't been able to stay healthy. But remember, they drafted DeAndre Swift, you know, in the second round. They got themselves a real potential stud in the second round at running back. They also um, defensively, uh, drafted Jeff Okuda. Let Darius Slay go, but drafted Jeff Okuda. A lot of people think one of the real talented, maybe highest uh, pre, uh, highest evaluated, best evaluated corners in the draft in a long, long time. So I picked Detroit, and then I picked Dallas. I mean, Dallas's roster is certainly capable with a new coaching staff. That's been the weakness. If, if you like Mike McCarthy, I'm lukewarm to McCarthy, but I think he's better than Garrett. But you add C.D. Lamb, you keep Cooper, um, you've got Zeke, you've got Dak, whether it's franchise tag or not. you got a team that, if it's better coached, could easily win the East. So those are my two picks in the uh, NFC. My two surprise picks in the AFC were Indy with Phillip Rivers, even though he did seem to lose some arm strength last year. Uh, I like that team. Um, I like that. T- I, I like that team last year. If you recall with Jacoby Brissett, I thought Brissett was going to be better than he was. And then the other team was the Jets that I gave out. I like the Jets roster. 
first of all, I'm a Sam Darnold fan. I think Sam Darnold is going to be really good, and he's entering that third year. They added the Baylor receiver in Denzel Mims. They added the big left tackle from Louisville, Makai Becton. Um, they've got Le'Veon Bell, who wasn't overly impressive last year. They've got Crowder. And then defensively, you know, they got guys like Jamal Adams and Quinnen Williams, some really good young talent. I And Greg Williams is the defensive coordinator. I look at that division that the Jets are in, and Buffalo's the favorite in that division, and I think justifiably so. Um, a slight favorite over New England. Who knows what New England's going to be like without Brady for the first time. But there's something about that Jet team last year when you watched it with Darnold. Darnold missed some games early, and Luke Falk, the Washington State quarterback, came in, and they got blown out without Darnold. But every game that Darnold played in, basically, with the exception of a game against the Patriots, were all there for the taking. Uh, they played the, the Ravens late in the, late in the year and got blown out in Baltimore. They won six of their final eight games, the Jets did, and Darnold keeps getting better. So the Jets were my pick there. I wanted to also just get to one of the other results of this conversation this morning. Every single team in the NFL, between Cooley and I and all of the callers, every single team in the NFL with the exception of two, were thought to be potential surprise teams in the NFL next year. Teams that could go from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs. Which seems unusual, but it really isn't. The only two teams that weren't selected by anybody on Twitter, anybody uh, when we opened up phone lines, or by Cooley or yours truly, were the Bengals and the Jags. They're the only two teams that nobody's giving any chance to making a surprise run to the postseason. We had people say the Redskins. Now, you might say, well, that comes with sort of the, you know, the local bias, which is fine. I had a caller call in and say, look at Miami's roster and tell me you don't think that the Dolphins could be much improved in a division that could be somewhat wide open. And, yeah, you know, if you look at Miami, first of all, you're making a big leap that Tua is going to be healthy. But even if you don't make that leap to Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick can play, you know, and they've added a bunch of players and they've added a, added a bunch of young players, you know, in recent years. And Brian Flores, I thought, did a decent job. Remember, they went from being a team that looked like they were tanking early to a team that was incredibly competitive over the second half of the season. So, you know, even Miami, I guess was my point, you know, was selected. The Jets were. I picked the Jets. Somebody else called in and picked the Jets. Um, some people, you know, really, and I'm talking about the teams last year that didn't make it, a lot of people really liked Cleveland and Denver, Cooley's picks in the uh, in the AFC. Denver's loaded with talent. So is Cleveland. Like, just go through Cleveland's roster, you know, if you get a moment, and look at the talent they have. Now, I think there's a big question mark at quarterback. Personally, I, I'm not a big fan of, of Baker Mayfield, but Landry and Beckham at wide receiver. Austin Hooper they had it at tight end. You know, Jedrick Wills Jr. they drafted as, a, as their starting left tackle instead of going after, um, you know, uh, Trent Williams. They signed Jack Conklin in free agency to add to the offensive line. Defensively, 
Miles Garrett is a potential top three defensive player in the league. Olivier Vernon they still have. I forget what kind of year Vernon had. Then that secondary with Denzel Ward starting to enter his prime as a legit upper-tier corner. Grant Delpit they added in this year's draft from LSU after uh, after, uh, uh, adding Greedy Williams, the corner from LSU last year, both second-round picks. They've got players, man. They have players. I don't know about Stefanski uh, as a head coach. But if Baker Mayfield's just okay, remember Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb too, of course, um, that team could be what we thought that team was going to be last year before they opened up the season with, you know, really a bit of a dope as a head coach and they got blown out early by Tennessee at home and, you know, they limped to a 6-10 and 10 finish. You know, they were theoretically in it when they played Pittsburgh in that, uh, in that game uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, the Miles Garrett game when they won at home, the Miles Garrett Garrett you know Rudolph uh, incident where Garrett got suspended for the rest of the season, but you know not many teams can you point at and say, yeah, no chance of making the postseason. You can point to a lot of teams. Take the NFC West. Every single one of those teams: the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Cardinals. There's not one team in that division that if I told you they're in the playoffs next year, would you be shocked? Including Arizona, loaded with talent, his added talent, obviously in DeAndre Hopkins. The Panthers, you know, I thought the Panthers would be a team that no one would mention. Not true. And if you look at the Panthers, you know, roster and consider, yeah, they've got a new coaching staff and that could be, you know, an issue for the first year. Remember, not only did they hire Matt Rule, a defensive guy from Baylor, they hired Joe Brady, the guy that made Joe Burrow so great at LSU last year to be the offensive coordinator. But Carolina, Carolina's got on offense, McCaffrey, they added Teddy Bridgewater quarterback. I'm a Bridgewater fan. Um, and Robbie Anderson at wide receiver to go with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Defensively, they drafted Derek Brown, one of my favorite players in the draft. I think he's got a chance to be a great interior defensive lineman. They already had uh, talent defensively. Secondary, a little bit question marked, um, but they also added the kid Gross Matos from Penn State as a pass rusher in the second round. So even a team like Carolina, can you really look at them and say, Ah, they don't have a chance. Now, that division with Tampa and Atlanta and New Orleans seems loaded. Uh, Everybody in the NFC East, you could say, ah, the Redskins, the defense is better, better coach. Defense, you know, gets them to eight wins, nine wins. And with seven teams in each conference, more likely than not every year there's going to be an eight and eight team, at least one. Um, Anyway, I thought that was interesting as you start looking around the league. The Chargers lose Phillip Rivers. They add Tyrod Taylor. But look at their roster. Look at the Chargers roster in a division where Denver should be improved. Uh, Oakland could be improved. And Kansas City is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. But the Chargers have, you know, in addition to uh, the offensive talent that was around Phillip Rivers. And it was it was banged up a, a lot here. And it has been other than that 12-4 and four year they had. But they got Keenan Allen on offense. They lose Melvin Gordon, but they still have Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Love Justin Jackson. They Is Herbert going to be ready if he isn't? Do you like Tyrod Taylor? That's the big if. Uh, Hunter Henry stayed, um, re-signed. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen offensively. Um, and defensively, they got talent all over the board. You know, Bosa, Ingram, 
They added Linval Joseph. They, uh, uh, they've got Derwin James, who a lot of people think is one of the top three, four safety talents in the league. Chris Harris they added. The Chargers actually could be really good. They just have a new quarterback. So anyway, um, interesting NFL conversations to come about the season and to see, you know, the teams that people are going to be picking. I mean, everybody knows Chiefs, Ravens. Everybody knows 49ers, Saints, now Buccaneers. After that, you know, there's going to be a lot of playoff spots and a lot of people in contention this year. Uh, one other quick um, note before we get to Jason Lockenfora. So I told you a few weeks ago that the Brooklyn Nets were very interested in Bradley Beal. They wanted to trade for Beal, and Beal actually was intrigued by the possibilities, and we read a bunch of those quotes. Ultimately, he wants to play with John Wall, and he loves D.C., but you know, if a new team and a contending team and the opportunity to play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you'd be crazy to say that if that were presented, it wouldn't be interesting and intriguing to the player, a player like Bradley Beal, who has really gotten all of a sudden, you know, a ton of respect from around the league with how much he's improved his game. Well, there's a story in The Athletic um, that reported that the Lakers have reached out to the Wizards about Bradley Beal. So Beal joins LeBron and Anthony Davis to form the big three in L.A. Now, the Laker, the Wizards appear to be not interested at all. And uh, while I think Beal would be interested, um, I also think Beal wants to play with John Wall next year. Next year. I've got the hiccups. Um, I do think he wants to play with John Wall. John Wall, if he comes back at 100%, is going to join a player in Bradley Beal who is much improved from the last time John Wall played with him. There is going to be a decision, right, that Bradley Beal is going to you know, have to make at some point, and that's going to be the decision that tells us whether or not he truly wants to be here because the Wizards are ultimately going to offer him a Supermax deal, which they'll be able to offer, and he's going to have to make the decision on whether or not the Wizards are the right team to be with moving forward. A lot of interest in Beal around the league. I can completely see that as either a second piece or a third piece to a true superstar player. I don't put Beal into that category of top five player, not even close. I don't think Beal's a top ten player. But the last time I watched him play before this shutdown, Beal had grown into an easy top 20 player, if not starting to push that top 15 area. And as a scorer, you know, he is approaching that top 10 to 15 area as a legit scorer in the league. He was the second leading scorer in the NBA when the league shut down. Remember that. Harden was averaging like 34 a game, and Beal was averaging over 30 a game. Beal was in the midst of having one of the great regular season scoring seasons in Bullet-slash-Wizards history. Beal was averaging exactly 30.5 points per game when the season shut down. Um, And over that last stretch, if you recall, starting in February, he went for 53 against Chicago, 55 against Milwaukee, 30 against Brooklyn, 42 against Utah, then went 34 against Golden State, 35 against Sacramento, before finally going for something less than 30. He had 29 against Portland. 
And then he went 35 against Atlanta, 23 against Miami, 39 against the Knicks in a win, which was the last game the Wizards played before the shutdown on March 10th. Quick word about Roman, and then we'll bring in Jason Lockenfora. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab a phone, grab your computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You'll also get unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you've got questions or you just want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com and use my promo code SHEEHAN, S-H-E-E-H-A-N, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com, promo code SHEEHAN, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, let's bring in Jason Lockenfora, who, of course, has uh, been working for CBS for a long time now, CBSSports.com, CBS television, covering the league for years. Of course, I was introduced to Jason when he was covering that juggernaut of a team, the Washington Redskins, as the beat reporter for the Washington Post for many years. You know what? I want to get to a lot of what's happened here in recent days in the NFL and a couple of other things. But real quickly, because I've had you on the podcast many times and years ago had you on the radio show many times. Everybody knows who you are. Everybody's followed your career a little bit, but not everybody knows about you. You grew up in Baltimore, right? Yeah. Um, my parents have uh, been in the same row home in, in East Baltimore since 72, I think. Um, I was born in 74. Yeah, um, born and raised here, spent most of my life here. Um, even when I, was, when I was covering the Caps for the Washington Post, um, they were still at Piney Orchard at the time was their practice facility. And uh, I lived in in Canton. I lived in an area of, of East Baltimore, right where, near where I grew up, for those five years because um, it wasn't a bad drive to Piney Orchard, and I rarely had to be in the office. And the times of day that I was driving to uh, MCI Center, where I think they were still calling it at the time, um, it, wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad commute at all. Uh, then when Redskins Park became my home, that was – that's when we moved to Arlington. But, yeah, um, I've, I've been here most of my life. Did you grow up a Colts fan? Yeah. Yeah, I was a Colts fan. Um, but, I mean, the years I really started watching football, like really got into it, like 81 and 82, those Colts teams were bad. Right. Um, really historically bad. And, you know, the owner, Ursay, was already starting to kind of flaunt the the team. You know, he, he'd show up in Arizona. He'd show up in you know, California, he was already fighting with, you know, the Mayor Schaefer about the future of the team. Um, and there were games were blacked out uh, with some regularity because the team was so bad sure. and the optics were so bad and the owner was, was really at war with people. Um, so you didn't get to see him as much as, as you'd like unless you were at the game. And, and we did go to 
go to a bunch. Um, but yeah, it was those were really really bad Colts teams, and then by '84 they were gone. Did you? Were you one of the few? You know, I've always found it interesting because, as you know and I know, me being a DC native and you being a Baltimore native, they're they're two totally different cities. Yeah. Um, two totally different groups of sports fans. I mean, you have, you know, the Maryland basketball program, which is shared, Maryland football too, but yeah. Maryland basketball's a, you know, been a, a significant part of all of the lives of sports fans of D.C. people and Baltimore people. But, you know, Washington people immediately adopted the Orioles when the Senators left in 71. I was one of those guys, Jason. I was a D.C. guy. I wanted my own team, and I never became a huge Orioles fan like a lot of my friends did very I think many fewer Baltimore people became Redskin fans when the Colts left a do you agree with that and B did you root for the Redskins ever did you ever adopt them as your team um no I, I think I think you're right um and part of the reason was um there was a, a strong sense in this community that Jack can't cook was perfectly fine with the Colts leaving, and then he wanted the Redskins to become even more of a regional team, and that him being one of the more influential owners and him being an owner who was riding high right around the time um, that the Colts left, the Redskins were you know, very, you know, very much in sort of their, their, their glory days, and they're competing for Super Bowls every year with, with Gibbs, and, and there was a strong sense in this community that um, Jack Kent Cook would, would never let a team come back to Baltimore. Um, and there was a sense that Tagliabue was a D.C. guy, and, and he would roll with um, Jack Kent Cook. And I think to some degree that's hard to dispute because they gave a team to Jacksonville before they put one here. Um, and I don't think you look at the Ravens and look at the Jags and just look at the attendance numbers and look at the revenues and look at the stadiums. There's no comparison. Which is the better football city for the NFL? There, there just isn't. So, yeah, I think there was a lot of ill will and bad blood. And I can remember, like as a kid, like going with my dad to like pick up food on a Sunday from like one of the neighborhood bars and bring it home, and people just being livid that the Colts were being—I'm sorry—that the Skins were being sort of rammed down our throats. On you know, as a TV package, with us now being lumped in as like the getting the Redskins games and getting all these these uh, NFC East games that nobody cared about, and I think that just made people dislike the Redskins anymore because it's like if, if we're going to lose our team, can't we at least just watch the best game? Like, can't we watch what LA gets? You know what I mean? Just, right. least, just let us watch the best games possible. Nobody gives a damn about the Redskins here. We don't care about the Eagles' big game with the Cowboys. Like, you know, let we want to see Dan Marino. You know, the irony of that is that D.C. baseball fans felt the same way about Peter Angelos that Baltimore football fans felt about about Jack Kent Cook. yet D.C. adopted the Orioles as its hometown team in a much more significant way than Baltimore people adopted the Redskins. It's, it's, an, it's a personality thing, I believe. Like, I think... D.C. was an easy mark for baseball. First of all, it had been, you know, two different franchises lost within a 10-year period. And I'm not old enough yeah. to remember the original Senators leaving. I'm just barely old enough to remember my father taking me to Senators games at RFK Stadium before they moved to Texas. But 
DC became a significant Orioles market, and yet the, the and, and this sim, and the situations were similar. I remember being incensed that the Orioles. I've always felt like the Orioles were keeping DC from getting a baseball right. team because the attendance was so significant and meaningful at Memorial Stadium and later Camden Yards for for the Orioles owner. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like I'm just sitting here thinking about all the times I would beg my dad to take me to to the Capitol Center to see a Bulls game. Or, I mean, I, I as soon as I was old enough to drive, you know, I use a lot of my money on a Caps partial plan with, with my best friend from high school, and we would be at Caps games at Landover all the time. Never once did it enter my mind that I have, and I love the NFL, but, like, even if the Chargers were playing the Skins, and the Chargers became my favorite team when the Colts left, like, I would have never thought, like, it would have never occurred to me. It would have seemed blasphemous for me to, like, ask my dad or one of my uncles or something to, like, take me to to RFK. Like, (laughs) I would have never, like, it never even entered my mind. Like, it would have never, and and nobody would have done it anyway. So maybe I already kind of knew that. But it was like, I love the NFL. And, and yeah, I mean, I did see the call. I mean, I went to, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 Colts games in my life. But, you know, I was really young. I mean, that. Um, for the most part. Uh, but, yeah, through that whole run, I never was like, oh, it'd be cool to go see a Redskins game. Like, just just as a sporting experience, just as someone who loved the NFL, like, never would have happened, never would have occurred to me. just wasn't even how anybody was wired. It was like, that's their thing. Like, let them have it. But 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 the Bullets and the Wizards, that for some reason, that was just different. I guess because we had never had, I mean, we never had hockey and the bullets left when I, you know, so long ago that I, I don't know that there was any animosity anymore. Yeah, I always had a sense going to bullets games at the Capitol Center that there was definitely a Baltimore element to the crowd, just like there is at Maryland basketball and Maryland football yeah. games. You know, it's it's almost a shared thing between, yeah. you know, two sizable markets. Um, you know, the the other interesting thing over the years is. Baltimore leaves DC's one of the marquee brands in the entire sport. Um, and in, in, in by the way, in sports overall, it's viewed as one of the great NFL cities, best two or three NFL cities. And in 20 years, Baltimore has become a much better NFL city than Washington. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, winning obviously is a big part of it versus losing, but it's been amazing, I bet, for even you as an NFL reporter and someone familiar with both teams and both franchises to see the erosion of the Redskins fan base. Yeah, it has been been stunning. And, I mean, someone's going to stand there and get punched in the face for only so long before they decide that, you know what, I could go I could go do something else with this time. I don't have to give this time, this energy, this passion, this financial commitment to an entity that is not loving me back. And and I think it comes down to ownership and it comes down to sort of decision making at the top and it comes down to being willing to sort of um stick with a a a model, um, a division of labor, a you know, a, a a small group of individuals who you think are are worthy of of being the stewards of your franchise for a long period of time, and then I think it also comes down to stadium amenities, game day experience, um, and there's a wide gap between the two franchises in pretty much all of those all of those categories. 
um, you know, and it's just things as simple as parking and getting in and out. And um, there's just a lot that goes into it that, I mean, I'd forgotten how bad it was until I finally broke down and I went to see the Redskins, one of their preseason games a couple of years ago. It was, uh, they were playing the Bengals. And it's like, it had been a while since I was there. And so you kind of like, the PTSD goes away a little bit. And then I got in that parking lot and I was like, I'm leaving at halftime. Like, I st- all started coming back to me. And it's like, I'm not, I don't think I'm staying for this whole game. Like, I, it, I, I, it's just, I just remember, like, trying to get in and out of there at times and just how jacked up it is. And, you know, I was parking, like, a mile away from the stadium because they didn't give me the right parking pass. And I was just like, God, this is, this is a miserable experience. You know, I've mentioned many times, like, to me, it would be a great Wharton or or Harvard Business School case study to look at what has happened here in two decades to to take a brand that was so fiercely, you know, followed and and loyalty to the brand and to see what's happened. You know, and in recent years in doing the show, you know, on, on 980, you know, I've mentioned so many times, and this is what I still like about our fan base, is I'll mention many times the Ravens and how, you know, I, I, there's an incredible amount of respect to watch a great owner, to watch Ozzie Newsom, to watch DaCosta, to watch the coaching, to watch what they've done as an organization. It's a, it's a great organization, and to admire it. And I take a pounding when I do that, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a Ravens fan, right. but, but you can respect what they're doing. From, you know, especially given that it's so close and, you know, we get Ravens games, you know, the DC market and we, we you know, the red zones make it, made it very easy to, to sort of move yeah. away from that. But for many years, we've been getting Ravens games. I can remember early on, I'm like, I don't want the Ravens games on. Sure. I want to see a better game here, you know, even though the Ravens were good teams. But um, anyway, it's, it's interesting to see how. That's happened um, over over the years. Uh, we're talking to Jason Lockenfor, and Jason, by the way, also has a really good podcast. A podcast called "Be More Opinionated." Um, I know Jerry Coleman's a part of that, uh, and I ran into Jerry recently. I can't even remember where, um, but uh, listen to that. You can get that podcast in any place that you get podcasts in this day and age. Um, by the way, real quickly before we get to some of the league issues. You covered the Redskins for a period of time, you know, for the post. Yep. G- give me a good story or two, bad or good, about your time covering the team. Oh, man. <laughs> That's pretty open-ended. You, you know, you were let – me, let, me, let me interrupt for one second. You were – and one of the reasons – and I'm, I'm just telling you this. I'm not, I'm trying to, not blowing smoke up your, up your backside. But I always liked you as a beat reporter because – you also injected some opinion into your beat reporter, which I beat reporting, which I liked. Like I could always sense some emotion, even in your stories. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it's my preference personally. Um, and you were well, very, you were yeah. very aggressive as a reporter, and you broke a lot of news, which hasn't happened that much over the years. But but do you remember like a story you were super proud of, or a big story that you broke? Um. I, I mean, probably if I if I thought about it, I mean, immediately what comes to mind is like when I first got on the beat, and you know, it was sort of this changing of the guard, and they they were trying to see what I was all about. And I think I kind of already knew what they were all about, 
Um, but, you know, you go in with an open mind. And so I got called in the Dan's office, and, like, Carl Swanson was in there. Um, I think Vinny might have been in there. I mean, this is a long time ago now. But this is sort of like the, you know, hey, um, here's how we do it around here. You know, here's, here's, here's how we roll. And I was like, look, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want you to give me anything. I don't want, I don't want, you, I don't want to be spoon-fed. I don't want anything from you. You win. I'm going to break my back to describe in a way that as best I can why you're winning and what makes you good. And if you keep being who you've been, then I'm going to do my damnedest to explain why you can't win and, and, and why you have been unable to win. And that's how I view my job. And I'm not, you know, ask Ted Leonsis how I covered his team because that's the same thing you're about to get. Did, was, were they antagonistic with you? Well, I mean, there was, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they controlled a message board that would spread all kinds of lies and rumors about me. I mean, there was a file they showed me when I left the Washington Post, like that HR had, that was like all these letters from their lawyers with these just blatant, I mean, stuff that wasn't true. Like I got in a fist fight with Mike Wise in the, in the, in the press box at the Meadowlands, um, you know, I... All these reasons, these letters that the, the Redskins wrote at various times why I should be taken off the beat or terminated or whatever. I mean, they had the TV show, that ridiculous TV show with What's-His-Face, you know, spreading lies. Oh, he's, he's giving playbooks to the Larry, Dallas Cowboys. Larry, and, oh, yeah. he's, working, he's working with other teams in the division to give away secrets. And, I mean, it was, it was pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. In many ways, they were ahead of their time. Fake news. You know, it's really... But, uh, yeah, it was no. a strange time, man. It, and you would get these different partners on the beat, and you'd try to tell them. And they'd be like, nah, man, come on. Nah, nah, it can't be like that. And then, you know, whether it was Howard Bryan or Jason Reed, like after a few months, they're like, bro, you were like, oh, my God, it's, it's real. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's real. It's, this, is some, this is some different stuff, man. I can remember one time, like, I was convinced somebody had moved my car in that parking lot. Like, I'm like, I remember calling, like, Jason Reed. I'm like, bro, I don't, my car, I don't think it's where, like, I don't think this is where I, like, when I got here at 7 a.m., I don't think this is where I parked the car. And, and, that, and at a certain point, you kind of start getting in your own head, and I'm sure it was, like, wherever I parked it, it's just, you know, you just forget about it, and you've got so much on your mind. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite an experience, man. It, you 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 kind of had to be prepared for anything. Keep your head on a swivel. But but you liked Gibbs, right? Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I I felt bad for him because I thought that he, for a guy who'd been out that long, the model they chose, um, the infrastructure just wasn't there, and he was having to do so many jobs, and there was always something going on, and he had to put out so many fires that it took him away from what he was ultimately best at, which is being the head football coach. And, you know, he's got to look over guys on the waiver wire, and, and, you know, you have to sweat all these small details, and then there's this, this, this is going on in the media, or this player said that, or, you know what I mean, Clinton Portis did this, and this guy did that, and this cat won't wear the right uniform, and, you know, this guy's got too much tape on his leg. And he had, like, all that went across his desk, and I just felt like if they had had – if he had walked into a strong organization where they had more people who were like excellent at their jobs and they had been hiring the best and the brightest for years, then I think it could have had a very different outcome. But as you watched, you know, what he had to deal with and all that was going on, 
and the fact that so many of the guys he brought in were not at the vanguard of what was going on on either side of the ball, that was a problem. And, you know, I think that, that held them back, and it took time. I mean, all the staff overhaul that started happening fairly soon, um, you know, and then again, that's all on his desk. We're talking um, to Jason Lockenfor, who covered the team for, I think, six or seven years. It was something like that. Um, I think it was Five. Was it five? I think okay. it was five years. Yeah, I think it was five years. You know, it's interesting, by the way, just as an aside, you know, here we were, you know, sports talk radio, long form, every single day, three to four hours a day, owned by, for a significant percentage of those years, um, Red Zebra, which is was funded yeah. and owned, uh, primarily majority owner was Dan Snyder. And you can ask me or Zabe or Andy or Doc or Brian or anybody that's been on the air for a long, long time on that station. And they essentially ignored us. I mean, there was never anything said. I mean, here we were during the years being harshly critical of the team right. when they sucked, even though there was this impression that we were like an extension of the team, which was just completely untrue. Um, I never, I mean, I would listen driving to the Redskin Park and coming home. I, I never thought yeah, you guys well, were homers. And well, and nor did anybody that, that listened on a, on, a, on a daily basis. But it's just, you know, we always felt it was very funny that the, the relationship was a bit antagonistic no doubt they didn't help us but they also didn't ever say you know hey this is how we want it done like there was never any of that which is just just strange um so but real quickly before we get to the league what do you think of the hiring of Rivera do you think that this you know we always think when this happens whether it was Mike in 2010 you know Joe in in 2004 maybe things will be different Rivera I think Jason was a really solid hire what did what did you think of the hire and then what do you think about the state of the franchise right now without Bruce Allen in it, in it anymore I think he's um a, a an excellent leader, um, widely respected, but I, he's never been quite this guy before. You know what I mean? There was a different sort of checks and balances in, in Carolina. And I, I, never having this much responsibility, you're saying, beyond yeah, coaching. It's kind of like it's the same thing like with, with Shanahan and with Gibbs. That that model hasn't hasn't worked. Um, Ron's younger than those guys at this point. Um, that you know, uh, he probably has more energy and 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 probably is coming at this from a different mindset than those two guys who had to know the moment they took that job that that was very likely their last job um, doing something like that in the NFL. But but there's so much that goes into it. There's such a steep learning curve. Um, and he's not going into an organization that has the infrastructure already there. And it's like now you're in charge of what color the walls are and how big the training, you know, how you spread out the, the, the whatever medical room. And now you've got this pandemic on top of it where all these things are going to have to be reshuffled on the fly. And you're going to have to spread things out even more and figure out how to make that facility able to hold 95 guys with these new regulations right. and it's not a very big facility it's not by any means state-of-the-art uh there's just going to be all that stuff is now his deal you know what i mean and that's not what got him hired 
you know, what got him hired was the rising defensive coordinator who then goes and, and establishes strong staffs in Carolina so that when guys leave as defensive coordinators, the next guy up is still pretty good. Um, and Ron's still taking care of that. And, you know, that, that slipped the last few years in Carolina. So that's, you know, it's, it's, if, he, if they was already, like, if they already had the Bobby Beathard, if they ever found the Bobby Beathard, then would he be a great Joe Gibbs? Yeah, but that's not how they're, you know, making the sausage there right now. And, and, and he wavers from this model of the coach has almost no power to the coach has all the power. And there's probably a happy medium somewhere in the middle that might serve them better for something that lasts, you know, eight years, ten years, twelve years, whatever. So, I, I mean, Ron's super smart, and, and he'll probably figure a lot of things out on the fly, but this isn't who he's been. This is, this is a very different sort of deal now where all, you know, all things go through Ron Rivera's desk. And whoever's picking the players, he's going to have a lot of say in. And, you know, however this thing gets sort of morphed and evolves over the next few years, um, it's all going to have his fingerprints on it. And, and that hasn't worked there. Do they have the right quarterback in Dwayne Haskins? I, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think anybody could say they know until 2021 because I, I just don't know what they've given him that you could say is given him like what's in place that will give him a fair shot. I, I don't know what that is. I mean, it's we're in the middle of this pandemic. He can't be around the facility. They have changed everything up again, right? He's on his third coach already. Um, the offensive talent and I'm putting talent in air quotes is probably the worst in the league. Um, you know, I, even the offensive line, I'm not. I have major reservations about in the run game. I mean, this Adrian Peterson thing. I mean, I, come on, man. Like that that ship has sailed. Darius Geis is always hurt. I mean, I don't know what he can depend on. Like, I don't know. I mean, other than his right guard, I don't know what he goes to battle and and one receiver. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know what you go into any game planning meeting feeling good about. Like, oh, we're going to feature this guy. Really? Who are you going to feature besides Terry? Like, who? I dare you. Try. Yeah, but that's <laughs> and, and that's a, that's definitely a concern. But about him, let's just say that the Redskins somehow were able to put around him what Denver's put around Drew Locke. You know, Jerry Judy, Court, Cortland Sutton, K.J. K. Hamler, Melvin Gordon. Would you, yeah. would you believe in Haskins? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the 50 touchdown passes happened. Like, it happened in big-time college football. Like, it was real. There were people who preferred him to Joe Burrow at that time. Like, that, I mean, that, but he only played a year, and nothing has been sort of, um, he's had no continuum to build on since then. It's It's been, you know, an interim coach who didn't really seem to want much to do with him and just wanted to play rugby and run the ball 65 times, and then they hire you know, another coach who's bringing in a different staff, and then they go through the entire offseason and the draft, and they, they do literally the opposite of what L.A. did. I mean, they, they do literally nothing for him. Now, I know they tried on some things, and, you know, boy, we really wanted. Um, Mari Cooper. Yeah, you know, if we were going to steal him from Jerry. Well, you didn't. And so I just think it's going to be really difficult to evaluate him, even through this whole season, because I think he's going to be running for his life. And I think he's he's going to have to try to do too much just to survive. And the defense will be better, you know, and so that might make some of these games a little more competitive. But I just, 
I mean, are we, is it going to be a two-week training camp with one preseason game? You know what I mean? Is it going to be a full training camp but no preseason games because the risk is too high? How, it's just the worst-case scenario, I think, for trying to develop a quarterback. And, again, especially one who he only played for one year. A uh, couple of league things, and I'll let you run because I so appreciate the time. First of all, what did we learn from the Goodell statement over the weekend? Um about Kaepernick, about the anthem, et cetera? Well, it, it's certainly a seismic shift um, for the league and for them to admit that they should have listened more to players and done different things in the past when it came to this protest movement against police brutality. Um, that We had never heard language like that before. I mean, they, they were engaged in a lawsuit with this man. Um, and, and throughout the whole thing, we're super careful with how they chose their words and never struck a, an apologetic tone uh, in any way. So that was a big change, him taking his cues directly from players and not owners and responding so quickly and responding exactly as the players had asked, I think is significant. Um, we're also at a point where I feel like corporate America no longer views this movement um, as as so uh, risk-averse as something that could be so terrible for their brands, and no one wants to say the words Black Lives Matter. People won't directly talk about, you know, systematic racism and, and police officers killing black people in the streets because of the color of their skin. Well, you read some of these corporate statements, and, 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 and some are still very milquetoast and bland and just want to say something for the sake of saying something, but other organizations um, uh, in sports and outside of sports have, have very much taken things um, more head-on than I've seen before. So I think the corporate culture has has shifted a little bit, and, and the NFL um, and some of its owners don't see this as being um, so, quote-unquote, bad for business as it might have been before. And I also think Roger, in his heart, um, had had wished all along that some of these things were done differently and that he could have pushed and prodded and pulled some people to do more than they did, to say more than they did, to respond a little differently than they did. Um, and now, it, for me, it just begs the question of, at some point this season, does Roger Goodell take a knee with players? And I wrote a column about it this week. I think he will, because I think they're going to directly ask him. I think week one, it's going to be hundreds, if not maybe a thousand or more, if not half the league, taking a knee, because these problems aren't going to be fixed between now and September, and, and there's still going to be a movement, and it's going to take time to enact um, meaningful, you know, police reforms and, and, and um, you know, reforming the criminal justice system. And this is going to take years of legislation. Um, so the fight will still be on in September. And, and I can't imagine the players don't ask Roger, you say you respect our protest. You say you're an ally. You say you want to be a same for Drew Brees. You, you say that you get this. Come take a knee with us, brother. And I, I don't know at this point if he's asked that he could say no. How many of the owners supported the statement the other day and will, will support what you just described? Um, well, I, I, don't, I, I mean, I think if anybody tried to tell you the exact numbers, they'd be lying to you because um, some of these guys don't talk ever and, and some aren't going to tell you what they really think. But we're now coming up on a week. What's today? Wednesday. So we're, this all went down Friday. So we're a good five days into this. I have, have you seen any story where you know, an owner's got a beat writer who's in his back pocket who's come out with a story saying, you know, with all these anonymous sources saying, you know, this ownership group is, is mad that Goodell went rogue and 
you know, he's going to, you know, that he doesn't speak for everybody. I mean, these guys all have their buddies who they can get on, you know, get on the phone and, and leak something to. I haven't seen it anywhere. I, you know, have, I haven't either. But or, or, or nationally. Yeah, I haven't either, but there's been silence from a lot of them. There hasn't been outward support from a significant percentage of them. Well, I'll say this. The guy who was most opposed to this the last time around, the guy who became the face of the movement in many ways because no one on his team was kneeling. Sure. Yet he, and I remember them going on a bye week and then him coming out and throwing a Molotov cocktail in a locker room and saying, don't you even think about it. You're going to get fined. There will be punishment. Nobody's going to do that with the Dallas Cowboys. We don't do that. Nobody's doing it here. And then Jason Garrett having to clean up the mess. I haven't heard boo about him. And he's got his own radio show, and he's got you know all plenty of pals in the media, and he could get on Sirius, he could get on ESPN, he could get any, he could go to the local station that he does his show with, and say anything he wants. And I think in this case, with things being still in the streets, and and this being such a hot sort of issue, that somebody might, if, if they do go out there and talk, they might really bury themselves. And I, and I think that's probably in the back of some of these guys' minds. So I think silence is probably silence or, you know, some sort of statement that comes out of the PR team's office, like we support Roger Goodell, is about all you're going to get at this point. Um, but, but look, a lot of these guys are, have so much power and so much influence. I mean, Jerry Jones was trying to run a coup to get Roger Goodell out of, out of office two years ago. Right. He didn't have enough support. There weren't enough people with him. So I think he would also realize there wouldn't be enough people with him now, even if he wanted to do that. But I, I think the silence speaks volumes because these are not guys, many of whom, who have to bite their tongue, who are worried about what anybody else thinks, and they run their own fiefdoms. And so I, I, I think if I'm Roger Goodell and we're a week out and, and some of the guys who were um, sort of banging the drum against these protests the hardest three years ago are saying nothing, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Some of the criticism of the statement was specific to that there was no mention of Colin Kaepernick by name. Malcolm yeah. Jenkins came out yesterday and said, you know, they still haven't gotten it right, the league. I'm paraphrasing at this point, but until they apologize directly to Kaepernick or assign him to a team, they're not going to be on the right side of, of history. What do you think, uh, or how do you think, Kaepernick's um, – situation plays out with the league well they can't they can't assign them to a team you of know i mean they don't they don't, right. they don't have the yeah they don't do the that. wherewithal to, to do that um i mean two weeks ago i would have said what i've been saying for a long time though that he'll never work out on an nfl facility much less um play you know play another game um i did now i i, I would say it's it's still more likely than not that he doesn't play again but I don't think it's impossible. Um, I think there's a, a, a needle that could be threaded there. I think there's a, a sliver of a window where, not, not now, but if we get into the season, and especially if it is a truncated training camp, and these offensive lines haven't really gelled, and all these young offensive linemen who have been brought in don't have a chance to really get their feet under them before they're playing, and then quarterbacks get hurt. And if it's like it was two or three, was it three years ago, when the Houston Texans were bringing Brandon Weed. I mean, this, that really is what caused Kaepernick to file the lawsuit in the first place. Is we had that run of five or six weeks where Aaron Rodgers is down for eight weeks, and they're running Hunley and Deshaun Kaiser we out there. Mark, right? they we had Mark Sanchez in games here. Right. You guys had Sanchez. The Texans um, 
you know, Bill O'Brien's talking a big game now. I mean, I remember them bringing Brandon Whedon and guys out of the crypt and not returning Colin Kaepernick's phone calls. They wouldn't say anything to his agent. They wouldn't give him a reason. The, the, the Mariota was hurt again, and this was at a point where he was still an ascending player, and you thought he might be able to come back and save the season. And, and they were running a bunch of guys out there who had no business. I mean, there, there was like four or five quarterback workouts in a, in a two- or three-week span, and he couldn't get a phone call return. So could that happen this time around? I don't know, because I think at this point, everybody who said bringing him to your building is bad for business, you know what? You have a scenario like that, and you're bringing Brandon Wheaton and some McCown brother we haven't seen play since, since high school out there, and, you know, you're turning to Matt Schaub to save the season. I think there'll be protests in the locker room and people on the street, if we're allowed to, if things are normal, in terms of your ability to move freely, would be at team facilities saying, why not Kaepernick? And you're not going to be able to just get away with these blanket statements of, you know, oh, he doesn't fit our system or whatever. I think people will be held to account. Like, well, how do you know? Like, you didn't even look at him. Like, we're not saying you had to sign him, but you brought five dudes in here who stink. Why couldn't he be one of those five guys? So maybe there's an opportunity there at some point that public pressure mounts. And some of these teams and some of these coaches who are making pretty strong statements, um, if injuries strike at that position, there's going to be questions asked. Like, well, wait a minute, here's what you said in, here's what you said in June, and here's what you said at training camp, and now, you know what I mean? You're down a quarterback, and you're going to tell me that this guy is not one of the best 100 guys on the planet. Like, he's not worthy of finding out if he's one of the best 100 guys on the planet if we're carrying, you know, if you're going to carry three guys. I mean, how long? Josh, you guys had Josh Johnson, right? I mean, he hadn't played NFL football in years. <laughs> he actually played right? pretty well. He'd been well. in the AAF and that other league that yeah. folded before that and right. whatever. But, like, I mean, yeah, you look at some of these dudes who you're in November and the, the, the list of available free agents is pretty, is pretty thin at that position, and you're, you're trying all kinds of dudes. I mean, there are a couple yeah, things. Yeah, the AAF folded, and, like, Luis Perez and all these guys got signed, like, immediately. I don't, like even that happened. I don't even like, remember who Perez was. Who the hell's he? This is the not the XFL, but the, when they had that AAF, the, oh, okay. that, in season, and it folded after five games, and like three three quarterbacks from that league got signed, and it's like, but Kaepernick kick, he doesn't get a workout, so we'll we'll see. I, I still don't think it's it's incredibly likely, um, but I don't think it's impossible in the climate that we're in. Um, you know, that if we are in a scenario where you've got four or five, six quarterbacks out, and um, these, every Tuesday there's this, this group of dudes making the circuit, that maybe Colin could become part of that. And if that goes well, then maybe he could get signed. You know, it's funny because I, I think you're right with respect to sort of the corporate and the business side that that would be less of a risk this time. But still fresh in the mind of, of, of everybody in that league is a November, you know, out of the blue workout that was unprecedented where regardless of whether or not yeah, you think, the, you know, whatever. It wasn't well done. It no. wasn't well done and it wasn't well done by him. You know, it left many with the impression that maybe he didn't really want to play when all was said and done. You know, that, that may be some of the issue now, too. He's 32 years old, going on 33. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is if they want to be, if somebody wants to say that he was given a, an opportunity, then they got to let him in their facility and, and 
sit there with the stopwatch and have him run his 40, and you tell him what throws you want him to make because it's your offense, and you write, you, you, you design the practice script because that's how it should be anyway. It should be him and his quarterback coach, and that's not how they originally wanted to do it. But I'm not going to relitigate that whole thing. The league did a lot of backward stuff, and, and, at the, and I think his people made some critical errors um, in the 48 hours before he actually started throwing that could have been done differently. But the whole idea of that even happening because of the lack of trust between them, I think, was always um, yeah. was always a little naive and ambitious. All right. um, but regardless, at some point, somebody either lets him throw for them, you know, or, or they don't. And and if he doesn't look the part, and if he if he looks like he's going through the motions, then you know people are going to ask you about it, and and you couch that however you want. Um, but we'll see. I, I again, I don't. I don't think it's likely, but I, things are changing, and I've seen things in this league the last week or so that I never would have thought I've seen in um, a million years. So who knows? Last thing, um, COVID-19, remember that, um, is, uh, oh, yeah. is, is, still, is still an issue. Is the NFL going to play on time, and will they have I a- don't know. So go ahead. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, they don't, they, they have lots of plans and contingencies, but which one is, is the most realistic and um, what gets put into effect and how much they're changing on the fly and if they're having to alter roster rules and football operation rules just because of the numbers game that this sport is, even in the best of times. Um, I, you know, it, 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 nobody knows. The, the scientists don't seem to know. You know, yeah, I mean, no, there were only a few months into this, and everybody wants long-term answers, and everybody wants solutions, and everybody wants to know best practices. Um, but if you really follow this closely, and you're reading the stuff I'm reading, I mean, a lot of the things I can remember cutting PSAs at our radio station all about, you know, all the different ways you need to clean surfaces. And now they're saying it's not very. They don't think it's easily transmitted right. through through surfaces. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, so I don't know. You know, where we'll be as a country, is it still going to be each state on their own by, by, you know, October when it's getting colder? Is there another wave? Are certain states being hit harder than others? Um, I, I just don't know. But it's going to be a very real issue for, for these teams because of the economy of scale. I mean, the NHL bubbles 50 people. You, you can't do anything with 50 people in the NFL. You can't, you can't. You can't even you can't serve lunch to the guys at the facility with fifty people. You're carrying ninety to begin with. Now I, I think they might get down to seventy five before anybody even gets in the building. But regardless, think about how many people it takes to have eight or ten guys who all need um, to be taped up, or eight or ten guys who all need treatment after practice, and then what it takes to keep the fields playable, and what it takes to feed these guys, and what it takes to clean a hundred uniforms, and what it takes to sterilize all those, all those helmets every night and what it takes to, to move these guys around and just all that goes into a training camp, how many people are involved. I don't, and so you're, you're going to maintain 300 people bubble. I mean, they're even saying that guys are going to get sick. I mean, Fauci said he, he, this would be a perfect Petri dish to spread. Football players practicing and rubbing up on each other for 90 minutes. I, so I don't know, Kev. I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, 
Well, they clearly. I don't think, I don't they, think any of us do. They clearly, uh, first of all, they'll have the advantage of watching other leagues be the guinea pigs with respect to this. They've yeah. they've been blessed throughout this entire process of not having to shut down anything significant as of yet. With that said, there's no way any of these leagues can go into an effort to start a season or resume a season thinking that, you know, a few positive tests are going to be problematic. You know, it's going to have to take a major outbreak in some serious illness to shut it down, or they might as well not do it. Well, I, I mean, I just, it, yeah, I, I don't know where, where those thresholds are. And then, I mean, if, you, if, you, if a guy gets sick and you, you quarantine him for two weeks or you've got five or six guys sick, how many how many dudes are going to be raising their hands saying, "Yeah, I can't wait to go there on Tuesday," you know, for my tryout to be the last guy on the roster for a couple of weeks till these dudes come off quarantine, and maybe I'll have scarring in my lungs the rest of my life, or maybe I won't. You know, like I, I just <laughs> that's exactly what yeah. Lavero said yesterday. Tommy said to me yesterday, he said, "Here's the issue we're not considering: if a few people get sick, and we were talking about the NBA, I think specifically at the time, and you know, you got G League players getting called up." Uh, but even players that are already on the roster, how many of them are going to be real excited about showing up for work the next day if three guys just tested positive? We don't know yeah. what the answer to that is. But you know, yeah, and 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 football's next man up. I mean, it and it takes so many bodies to get through a season. Sure. And at some point, I just don't. You know, I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of older coaches in the league, and I, it's just I think they've had they've had a remarkable run here in terms of the known the known cases in the NFL community versus the rest of the world and the timing of it, and they've been able to proceed as business as usual. But this pandemic has changed everybody's life, and I just have a hard time thinking they're going to play a four month season, and the only thing they're going to have to reconfigure is these you know putting more room between guys in the locker room. I, I just knowing what it goes into making this happen. And, and I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, they will do whatever they can to start. I just wonder about the ability to finish. Agreed. Um, thanks for doing this. Thanks for spending no worries, so much man. time. My I, pleasure. I, I, always, I, I always enjoy it. And I hope... <laughs> And go to go take care. Yeah, this walk. My my dog's my favorite person in my house after the last three and a half months. Favorite uh, living being in the house by far and away. Um, Best of luck with the podcast. Hopefully, we talk before a season in September. All good, man. Thank you, Kev. All the best to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Jason Lockenfora with his dog holding off until the very last question. Of the interview. What a dog. Um, what patience uh, throughout. We heard a few barks there at one point, uh, but great job um, by Jason and his dog. Real quick word about hydrant.com. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early or setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everybody's got the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be that way. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels to avoid the morning sluggishness in that midday slump you need to make sure you're hydrated this is important especially as we enter the summer months hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy 
and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, I want you to go to drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan, S-H-E-E-H-A-N. That's drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan for 20% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan. One last thought uh, before we say uh, goodbye for the day. Um, And it has to do with the end of that conversation with Jason and about the NFL and the prospects of starting the season on time, playing a full season, a lot of unknowns, as we know. Tommy and I have been talking about that. I mentioned earlier in the show um, just the World Health Organization going from asymptomatic spread being very rare to them backtracking on that yesterday. There's just going to be a lot of that over the next couple of months. We've got three months until, I think it's three months from tomorrow, opening night in the NFL, Kansas City hosting uh, the Falcons, or the Texans, I think it is, the Texans in that opening game. And I, I had this thought off of the conversation with Tommy yesterday about the NBA, because it looks like the NBA will be the first league that we get back to playing games, live games, real games, And part of the NBA plan, which I'm not sure I've mentioned at all on the podcast, in the event of a smaller outbreak, a couple of players on a team testing positive, is to quarantine those players and then bring players up from the G League to replace those players. And I was thinking just about how we're going to feel about watching the NBA in you know, late July, August in empty arenas or gyms with noise piped in from like NBA 2K or some other source. And then on top of that exists the possibility of a playoff series between, let's just call the Lakers and the Rockets, And the Rockets lose Russell Westbrook and James Harden to a positive test. And they get replaced by two no-name G League players that we've never heard of. And there the Lakers lose LeBron and Anthony Davis. I'm giving you the worst case. But let's just say that you get two teams in a postseason that have two to three starters that go out and are replaced by G League players. Now players on their bench are going to come out come into the game and start, but just how watered down the product will be at that point. How interested are we going to be in a basketball game, a live sporting event, potentially a month and a half from now, where you've got players quarantined, G League players we've never heard of starting, empty gyms, no spectators, fake noise being pumped in. Our whole feeling about these games when we actually start to watch them is another big unknown 
first of all, we've gotten used to no no live sports, and I'm not going to suggest that we could ever get used to that in terms of the NFL. But as it relates to the NBA and the NHL and even Major League Baseball, I don't know that we're going to be so heartbroken, especially if the product that we're forced to consume doesn't really look anything like the product product we used to watch. I think it, it, all of the live sports in these professional leagues are going to play out in ways that we're not even considering right now. But uh, I guess it's better to start down that path than not start down that path. I'm not being negative. I want it. You know, I don't feel desperate to have it like I would have a couple of months ago, um, but I want to see it. I want the you know leagues to learn from it, and I certainly want the NFL to start on time with full rosters, with some spectators in the crowd, so that you know there's a feeling of normalcy as it relates to the sports world when we get to the fall. Now, it won't be normal if best case scenario. Everybody's healthy. Things are proceeding as nor uh, as as you know. Everybody hoped best case was. We're still going to have the feeling that we've never had before, which is all of these sports converging uh, on the same portion of the calendar together. They're going to be all playing at the same time, and in the case of the NBA and Major League Baseball potentially, and hockey, and then the NFL in the midst of its regular season, you're going to have a lot of sports to consume on some of these weekends if it goes well. Anyway, that's it for the day. Uh, Done. Tommy will be back tomorrow. Enjoy the day. Stay healthy.